Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the 2023 film Infinity Pool, written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg and starring Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth. In this film, a couple's vacation to an island resort takes a turn for the worse after they run into Mia Goth. If you're new to our show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion up front, then we'll take a quick break, you'll hear some music, and then we'll jump into the plot, hit some spoilers, and review the film. Brian, I know you're a huge fan of David Cronenberg, I think you've said that before on on an episode. I'm curious, does your Cronenberger, hold on. Does your Cronin boner extend to his son? <laughs> I think I might have a Cronin boner for his son as well. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a family affair. Yeah, yeah. Although really, and, I've only seen this in Possessor. Well, he's only done three movies: uh, those two, and then Antiviral, right? Yeah, I still haven't seen Antiviral. Yeah, me neither. I'm curious to see that. And it's kind of crazy the gap between Antiviral uh, and Possessor, and then this one. Which is the feature? Uh, what possessor was? 2019? 2020? 2020. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I feel like uh, antiviral was like 2012 or something. Or yeah. Like he he said um, it was basically essentially like trying to get financing and stuff that took that long. Like, oh, that's for a possessor. Why the gap. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Sounded like it. Got it. That makes sense. I'm surprised uh, he has a, a, a trouble getting budget given his dad is. Seems like. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, uh, I think we both were big fans of Possessor. Yeah, I feel like we both gave it like a four and a half, maybe. Yeah, that was a really cool film and uh, fun and, and like surprising, innovative watch. A lot of similarities with this film I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, fun is a strong word for it. <laughs> Moral dilemmas. <right>? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, I mean, it's not just his father. His sister is also coming out with a... Or she's a director and she's coming out with a movie later this year called Humane. And I want to say, is that... I think it's her directorial debut. I think so, yeah. She's a costume designer as well, right? Right, yeah. She's Denise been behind Cronenberg. the scenes. Right. Uh, Denise or Caitlin? Oh, is it Caitlin? Okay, so I think Denise is a costume designer and Caitlin is like... She's been credited as like still photographer on some of their movies, like Possessor. Oh, um, got it. Okay, okay, so Caitlin's coming out with a movie. Gotcha. I think Caitlin's on the film coming out this year. Gotcha. Uh, I'll double check that though. But yeah, um, but I, I, you know, I, I think this family uh, is so interesting, just given like the, his work that we've seen so far, and you compare it to David Cronenberg, they definitely have uh, a similar vibe. Would you agree? around like body stuff yeah for sure it's interesting because david cronenberg is so body horror heavy and brandon cronenberg it's kind of like the like transition of like body horror into mind horror like psychological horror Mm -hmm. but there's like a shadow of body horror in there as well both this and possessor yeah there is yeah it's it's it seems like a a, sw- a slight twist on what David Cronenberg is doing. Yeah, uh, it's almost like a body-mind connection horror type thing. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really cool extension of uh, David's work. For sure. Uh, he's, he's making it his own while, while keeping some of the similar things in there. It's so interesting to think of it like that because he's definitely his own director. But yeah. it's also like, oh man, you are really just 
picking <laughs> up where your dad left off. And, and but is in in his own unique way. It's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. He's got his own signature on it. Um, it's uh, the whole father son dynamic is is interesting. I, I don't think I've seen too many films where like the father was a director and now the son is director. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, a father son thing. The, the only other one I can think of is like Stephen King and his son had that movie last year, Mr. Harrington's Phone, which I didn't see. But are there other examples you can think of or works I, you've seen? I, I can't think of any examples, no, but I'm sure that there are some that people are screaming at us. Yeah, yeah, I'm really curious to hear about other examples that are similar to this where you have father's a prolific director, a son, and like how similar that those vibes can be. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think we'll talk about this guy's version of body horror. Uh, is body tourism a genre yet? Body tourism? Yeah. What would that be? Like inhabiting someone else's body for a while? Yeah, which is like the plot of Possessor, right? Yeah, I mean, Possessor, you could argue, has that. I don't think it's a sub-genre, but okay. who knows? Maybe it will be more so. Yeah, something about uh, the, the way this guy's stories and films focus make me wonder if he's trying to build up a genre around projecting yourself or seeing yourself in other bodies. Oh, okay, um, interesting. Yeah, uh, a lot of star power here. Alexander Skarsgård, who was in The Northman last year, and our favorite Mia Goth. Uh, th- this is like her fourth film that we're reviewing, right? Um, third. Third, yeah, yeah, because we did Pearl okay. and X. We, we both watched um, House last year together. What was that, The right. House? Her House? We never discussed it, though. Right, right. Um, but yeah, then she was in Suspiria from 2018, High Life, A Cure for Wellness. She's all over the horror world. She is, man. She's dominating. Yeah. And uh, I think she was pregnant while she was doing this film as well. I, I think she just gave birth to a child earlier this year. Oh, really? Okay. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, pretty sure. Um, and then uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, I, I missed The Northman. Did you end up seeing that one? I still haven't seen it. I will, but... Me neither. Uh, but uh, his brother, I think, was in one of our favorite horror films from last year, Barbarian. Yeah, so, indeed. Talented family. Yeah, they really are. Um, quite an age gap, too, between this Skarsgård and that Skarsgård. I think he, almost like, uh, I want to say like 12, 13 years. Oh, is it really? So, yeah, quite a pair of brothers. Yeah. Uh, actually, there, there's I feel like there are two or three brothers in there. Yeah, the, there, there's a few more. Yeah, a few Skarsgårds. Um, the other name that I, I think is worth calling out uh, is this guy Kareem Hussein, who is the cinematographer on this film, and he worked on Cronenberg's other two films as well. And I think cinematography just plays a huge role in this guy's film and bringing some of these ideas to life. Um, so I, 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 th- I know he's worked with other uh, directors as well, but is he someone you recognize? I didn't recognize the name, but I mean, he's, yeah, he's making a name for himself. Like you said, he did Antiviral and Possessor. Um, but then he's also been busy the past few years, not only Possessor in 2020, but he did last year's Firestarter and hmm. Orphan First Kill. Oh, cool. Okay. He Damn. did other notable ones like Hobo with a Shotgun, We Are Still Here, and, and a few others. But Wow. Yeah. He's getting around the horror films. Yeah, he is. Good for him. Oh, man. Uh, I, I watched some of Orphan First Kill on uh, a flight. That movie's supposed to be really good, right? It's got pretty okay reviews. I think people are fans, mostly. D- have you seen it? No, but did you see the first one? No. Do you, yeah, no, I didn't see the first one. Uh, but I, I saw like 20 minutes of this one. I thought it was pretty dumb, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I got to see the first one first or give this 
a whole watch. You might need to. Okay. Did you see the first one? I still haven't. No. Okay. What's, what's the first one called? Orphan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can check that out. Uh, there's a growing trend here around. Uh, yeah, we talked about body tourism, but horror related tourism or just like rich people on vacation. I feel like is becoming. Uh, a running theme in Hollywood or a lot of new releases. Did did you see any comparisons to this in like White Lotus by any chance? I I did hear an interview question where they said like, hey, there's a lot of media now about like the ultra rich and yeah. succession <laughs> and stuff like that. They didn't talk about vacation sure. specifically, but yeah, that's a good point. Rich too, like even like the menu and stuff kind of focuses barbarian to some extent on like the privileged and the rich and like the the horrors befalling them. So uh, there, there just seems to be kind of a focus uh, with a few films. Yeah, and fresh. Fresh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Barbarian. Yeah, yeah I would say, um, oh, who's that guy? Oh, Justin? sure, okay, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I thought his character kind of stepped in for that stereotype. Yeah, I would say that's a stretch, but. Uh, on the classism or the privilege uh, society and, and them, like, facing off with horrors? I think, I don't think Barbarian when I think of r- rich people in portrayed in stories and uh, and the implications of that. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I guess that one is maybe more just about white male privilege. Yeah, I think that's probably a more accurate assessment. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do feel like it, there was also a Blumhouse film. What was it? Uh, it was like a few years ago. Um, I thought it took place like on an island. It was almost like a year ago, a year or two ago. Uh, oh yeah island. wasn't that a remake of like a show or something it looked like it oh like, what was that called it was not like fantasy island or something, was it? it might have been fantasy island yeah oh okay. okay something like that it got really bad reviews yeah it looked terrible yeah but I don't know yeah I, I, I don't know if it's like pandemic driven or something or more people are thinking about going on vacation or have gone on vacation or traveling the travel bug is back and so I don't know maybe there's something to these uh horror films focusing on that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like, there's definitely been a focus on the uber-wealthy in the media in the past 20 years or so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And kind uh, of vilifying that existence. Yeah, I'm, I'm for that. It's fun to watch. Yeah. This is getting great reviews, 88%, I think, on Rotten Tomatoes. And then Box Office, it's only been out for a weekend. We're at about $3 million, $2.7 million at the box office. Um, I'd be curious to see how much more, but I, it's getting a lot of word of mouth praise. Yeah. And it was eighth at the box office. So not great, mm. but it's a very unique movie. Surprisingly, despite the 88% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, it only has a 52% user score. Ooh, I was wondering where that would come in. That's yeah, interesting. I think people are a bit, don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Um, speaking of the box office, uh, this theater I went to, it was showing like four or five films. Uh, three of them are horror. It was uh, this film, Megan, and was it Skinmarink? Oh, nice. So, yeah, I mean, this is kind of a strong start to the year as, as you look at box office and what's playing right now, how much horror is out. Uh, I don't know if I've seen a year start like this. Yeah, like you said, too, they're all, I mean, Megan's really the box office uh, champion there, but they're all getting buzz. You know, people are talking about yeah. Skinmarink, people are talking about this. Right, yeah, and then like next week you're gonna have uh, "Knock at the Cabin" come out. Uh, so you've got a lot of uh, yeah interesting horror films. It does feel like a strong K-Kin. start to the year so far, and in January is typically thought of as like a dump month. So exactly, it's interesting to see it happening a little differently this year. 
Yeah, yeah. I wonder what the rest of the year holds, holds for us. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little bummed, though. I think this is the only Miyagoth film we're going to get this year, unless... Oh. Um, we still don't have a release date for Maxine. It's supposed right. to be 2023, but you never know. Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, hopefully she's got more coming out this year. Yeah, I hope so, too. Yeah. Um, let's see. That's all the background I had. Uh, anything else you want to call out? Oh, I'd mentioned that the film's initial cut was given an NC-17 rating by the MPA. Yeah. Um, it had to be re-edited to an R-rated cut. And I didn't realize this, but the MPA, I always call it the MPAA, Motion Picture Association of America, but they changed their name in September of 2019. So now they're just MPA, Motion Picture <laughs> Association. <laughs> Wait, which A did they cut? They cut the American out of it to reflect oh. the global nature of the industry. <laughs> nice. Catching up with the times. Yeah, I guess I'd, maybe that's not interesting to anybody else. But I was like, oh. <laughs> that is kind of a, a subtle change that, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever would have realized. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, oh, I wanted to mention the music. The score was done by Tim Hecker, um, a Canadian electronic musician. And I have one of his albums called Rave Death 1972. Oh, cool. That I'd is, recommend. Is it's a pretty good album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm finding so many of these scores are done by people who I've I've listened to in the past. I just really like ambient music and stuff while I'm working. So that's cool. His uh, his solo stuff is it? Um, it's it's not like uh, is it all instrumental? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I had, you know I never find myself listening to instrumental music that often, but I should. Oh I should give man, a shot. I love it. Like if I'm working and writing an email or something, I can't be Can't listening words. to words yeah <laughs> those words like inspire half my emails <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's nice I'll, I'll give his album a listen that's yeah you should um right. i think that's all i got as far as background but i've got some patreon shout outs an announcement and an ohio connection i'll do all right let's hear it so patreon shout outs thank you to joshua c rune m emma d dominic monica r kayla s Kristen e Henry J, Joshua B, and Primna. We appreciate all of you, our new supporters. Thank you so much for helping out the show. Um, and an announcement we made on the Deep Red episode, but maybe people didn't go listen to that episode. I, I know some of the older movies don't get as many listeners. So I wanted to mention again that we are officially a Tomato Meter approved publication, which means that our reviews will count towards a movie's Rotten Tomatoes critic score. So we want to thank all of you for listening, reviewing, and following and sharing the show. We couldn't have done that without you, and we really appreciate it. Ohio Connection. I forgot to request an Ohio Connection from Alex. I just totally spaced on it. Um, but I tried to do one myself in, in his fashion. So here we go. Though Mia Goth has become a fixture in horror films for the past few years, she's also appeared in more mainstream films such as 2020's Emma, which was based on Jane Austen's novel of the same name. Emma was nominated for an Academy Award for both makeup and hairstyling and for costume design. Some of those designs can be seen at the exhibit titled Jane Austen, Fashion and Sensibility, which showcases some of the costumes and accessories worn in film and television adaptations of Austen's work. The exhibit made its North American debut at the Taft Museum in Cincinnati, Ohio. Wow, awesome. That's yeah. pretty cool. Good no connection. Alex connection, but I tried. Yeah, I think that was, that was kind of right on par with uh, some of the connections he makes. So All right, like, yeah. Great job, Dan. He's really taught me how to do it. 
Yeah, I know you nailed that skill. <laughs> uh, dude, so, you know, that's not the first time I've heard of, like, uh, really cool art exhibits making their debut in Ohio, whether it's, like, Cleveland or Cincinnati. And it was, like, bugs me, because, like, you're sitting here in, like, a big city and wondering why, like, you have to go to Cleveland to see something interesting sometimes. <laughs> but uh, it's it's cool. Glad, glad that stuff makes its way around the Midwest. For sure. Yeah, nice, nice connection. Uh, well, great. Anything else? Are you ready to talk about the plot and spoil the film? I'm ready. Cool. All right, let's get to it. Hey, before we do, though, uh, I just realized what time it is, and I want to go play outside for a bit. Can I give you a call back? Sure. All right, cool. I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm back. Yeah, did Uh, you get your play out? Got my play time in. Yeah. (laughs) It's fun. Uh, I was playing on some rocks, and I I slipped on some uh, white stuff out there. I think someone might have, like, spilled some milk or toothpaste or something. Oh, no. It's kind of weird. Not sure what people are doing out there. (laughs) (laughs) But good play time, nonetheless. Milk or toothpaste, (laughs) some weird combination of the two. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. So, this film kicks off introducing us to James and his wife, M. They're a married couple. They've been married for 10 years. James is a writer who has one book out, but it came out like years ago, and he's been struggling to follow it up. Um, they are staying at this up-class resort on, an, on a remote island somewhere. I think this is a fictional island, right? Yes, they created a fictional country. Okay, cool. Uh, some of the early scenes here we start to get a sense of there's some underlying, I don't know if I'd go as far as call it like uh, friction, but there's some distance between these two characters and you can tell it's not exactly like a honeymoon they're on, even though they're at like this beautiful resort. What, what did you think of this opening? Uh, some of the, the characters, the camera work, the setting? What were your thoughts? Well, I really liked it. I mean, you bring up the camera work. We're greeted with these scenes or shots of this beautiful resort, beautiful ocean and beaches But the camera is like, you know, Dutch angle and turning in a complete 360. And the Mm -hmm. Tim Hecker score is very unsettling. And this is a Brandon Cronenberg movie. So, you know, things are not as 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 they seem here and something's going to be up. Um, So I was pleased. And, And yeah, I think the distance between the two is palpable, but it's not too overdone. So. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not like on the nose or anything. You yeah. can tell like it's not. Like, yeah, I, I agree. Some great like suspense up front with between the camera work, the the soundtrack, uh, some of their like strained dialogue mm-hmm. that are pretty effective. Yeah. Uh, also, just beautiful. I, I think you know you and I were just talking about being in the Midwest during the winter. Uh, it's so cool like being in a theater and like seeing this beautiful like island and like sunshine. It's it's a very bright film in the beginning here. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. uh, and what what's your buddy's name here? Um, Kareem Hussein. Yeah, he's a I mean he's a solid cinematographer. I look forward to seeing more of his work. Yeah, same. Yeah, you really got got some great pictures here. Um, so things get really interesting when James is approached by a woman named Gabby, who is played by Mia Goth. She claims to be a huge fan of the book that he wrote years ago, um, but. Uh, yeah, as we mentioned, he has been struggling to follow that up and she's wondering when it's going to 
his next book is going to be released. So he's like really shocked that like someone recognizes him and is a fan of his work. Um, he's pretty taken by her. She and her husband, Albin, invites James and M to go on an excursion the next day off of the resort to a secluded beach, which is a practice that's pretty frowned upon by the people who work at the resort and, and the country you're supposed to stay at the resort, not really go out of there. Uh, there is this kind of underlying attraction that's building between Gabby and James. And while they're at the secluded beach, James is in the woods peeing on some rocks and Gabby comes and gives him a surprise hand job in the woods. And we get a nice close up of James uh, ejaculatory fluids landing on some rocks. Uh, what do you think of the introduction of Gabby and her husband and this whole scene and, and like whatever's going on here between her and James? Yeah, I mean, it's intriguing. You can tell James has some, like, inner world that we're not quite privy to, and you can kind of see the writing on the wall that he's kind of fascinated with her and flattered that she's read his book. So it was interesting to see what you thought might happen to happen pretty quickly in the film. <laughs> yeah, it happened. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I, I think you're expecting something like this. But uh, I was surprised Mia got, while she's giving that hand job, like, the expression on her face it's kind of like mechanical and robotic. Like she's so, uh, it's, it's kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, you know, these two, uh, she, she's been kind of like hitting on him a lot, very suggestive. And then she just kind of comes here and it, in almost like a cold way, just like does this and like walks away. So I, I don't know that, that kind of caught me by surprise. Yeah. I mean, she's a, she's got such a unique presence on screen and some of the movies <laughs> we've seen her and she's, She's yeah. like unsettling in a lot of ways. There's a, like an unpredictability to her that like you never know what Mia got that you're gonna get. Yes, uh, and it keeps things really interesting. She's kind of uh, unhinged. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when she's not like humping a scarecrow in the right. field, that she's. Uh, what did you think of the close up on the semen on the rocks? I thought Kareem Hussein did this great work. <laughs> Was that, was that, you know, sometimes watching this film and the things we see, and a question I have of Cronenberg, like, uh, throughout his work, is, like, is the stuff he's showing us, is there a meaning to it, or is it more, like, shock value, or to, like, um, make for, like, an awkward watch uh, question, kind of, like, what we feel like should or shouldn't be seen? Um, do, do you ever wonder that? I mean, that's a really good question. I took my brother-in-law to see this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> How was that conversation? So I found myself wondering similar things. <laughs> yeah. But it's a good question. And I, I think I saw a review that said something similar. I don't know if you maybe saw the same one where why does everything have to be like overly sexualized and like sophomorically violent? Sure. I think it has a way of just, I don't know. Normally, I would say, yeah, we don't need to see the semen hit the ground. <laughs> In most cases. Yeah. Nine out of ten times, you can assume that it <laughs> hit can, the ground. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. We know how the rest of that goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do think it does something for the movie as a whole. I don't know what. I, I think knowing that you're watching a movie that's not going to shy away from showing you things, like that you're watching something that's kind of unflinching like that, can make you even more unsettled when you've got these, you know, this ominous score and these Dutch angles with the camera. You know something's up. Right. And you know the camera's not really going to shy away from things. So 
I think it can leave you feeling even more uncomfortable than you would have otherwise. I, I do think whether they're consciously doing it or not, I would say David Cronenberg is definitely trying to do this. Sure. I think they're trying to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. So the semen is just like the icing on the cake here. Oh, my. Like already a very uncomfortable. Poor choice. Of- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I... I, I agree. I, I think uh, it fits with like the the tension that's building up, and um, also, yeah, I, you know, I, I think uh, both him and his dad. You know, we talk about body horror. Uh, I feel like what their movies do is bring you really close to um, bi- biology, or like just the human body. Yeah, your own biology, works. sure. Yeah, there was another film that I think you brought that up on, where we could see like a characters like saliva or like spitting or something. Um, do you remember what that it was? It was a new movie. Hmm. Um, yeah, this sounds familiar. Bones and all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Bones and all. Right. It brings really up close and personal. I, th- I think, uh, pulls back like that distance that sometimes you feel from the characters and you're just getting really intimate with their body. And it will see a lot of that, more of that in this film, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So on their way back from the beach, James is driving and he accidentally hits and kills a local villager. The four of them decide to leave the body behind and return to the resort. Uh, the next morning, though, James and his wife, M are picked up by the local police. And this detective informs James that as a punishment for his crime, he is going to be murdered by the victim's son. That apparently is a tradition in this country. James freaks out about this, but the detective lets him know that for a fee, James can have a clone of himself made that would then be subject to the punishment and James can walk away. Um, so it's kind of a bizarre sci-fi concept thrown at us here that apparently cloning uh, and d- duplicating someone is in the mix in this uh, country. James agrees to this and pays this fee and him and M are forced to watch a clone of his who has all of his memories and his body obviously get murdered by the villager's son. Uh, and while this is happening, we do see a, si- a slight smile come up on James' lip, uh, which I think is supposed to surprise us. What did you What did you think on this plot development and uh, how things go down here? Well, I may be the only person to compare it to this movie, but don't you think the catalyst and big event here were the same? I know what you did last summer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I got that in my notes too. It was like, like I know what you did last summer. <laughs> The yeah. twisted version of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, they definitely got vibes of that. <laughs> I have such fond memories. This, Sorry, everybody, this is a bit of a, a weird, emotional, creepy tangent. But when we had our anniversary, podcast anniversary meetup last year and we rented an Airbnb, we talked about I Know What You Did Last Summer, and I had already watched it, but you hadn't. So you were watching it as I was falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> he fell asleep to the sounds of I, yeah I feel I, <laughs> yeah I remember as a kid being like oddly comforted falling asleep to the sounds of my parents watching TV downstairs <laughs> and I felt very much the same way when I was in this Airbnb falling asleep hearing you watching I know what you did last summer in the other uh, room that's really nice man that's good to hear I'll, we can recreate that next time you, yeah. you never just like leave the TV on in the other room to recreate that feeling. No, I don't. I need I need a father figure in the in the room in the household with me. So that's where you came in. Cool. Glad I could play that role for you. Yeah, that's good. Um, but uh, anyway, what what was the question? Let's see. I think uh, this is bon- I mean, that setup is 
you say what you will about I know what you did last summer, but that is a disconcerting setup for a character. Like, that is fucked up. How terrified would you be? Here they have the added stressor that you're in another country, and Mia Goss' character tells them, like, yeah, the police here are just going to, like, rape you and then put you in prison. So even if you're a good person who wants to do the right thing, you're a little bit scared to do so. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really good premise, a really good setup. And then just the, hey, don't... Everything in this is like, you know, it's an odd movie and things are going strangely, but it's all been in the realm of reality. But then you get your big, like, what in the world (laughs) moment when he's like, well, for a fee, we can just clone you and have that person murdered. He's like... What? <laughs> yeah. I know. I think everyone in the audience is like, what the hell? Where did that come from? Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, everything else feels like you're like in modern day, basically. There's like no kind of sci-fi mentioned up until here. And suddenly this technology exists. Exactly. And it's really interesting, too, because the characters, they don't necessarily make as big of a deal out of it as you might think they would. Like, what? Yeah. How did they do that? Like, <laughs> how do they have the technology to do this? It's just. It's almost like magical realism to a degree. They kind of brush it off like, right. okay, we live in a world where this can happen. Yeah, I know. I, I, I Part of me can't tell, are they that accepting of it because he's in the shock of the fact that he just like was about to be executed for uh, killing someone and he was like so like racked with guilt? Or uh, do you think like in this universe, um, this is like a practice that's like going on in other places and... Uh, that's why, like, they're not like, like, really thrown off by it or questioning it. I mean, I think you could. Someone could cite this as a bit of a beef with the movie that the characters don't react appropriately here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you could write it off basically with what you just said—that he's just so relieved to not be murdered, yeah, or even arrested question. in this situation that he's just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but yeah. then at the same time, yeah, it is odd that they I, I also think it wouldn't be the movie if it was if the characters were like, How did they do it? Like that's that's <laughs> just not this the movie me. this is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So you kinda yeah, just yeah. have to keep moving on at, at the clip you're going. Right. And I think that's a common Cronenberg thing too. Like they're just these certain realities you have to accept. Yeah. Uh, that open up a lot of questions, but like they don't never spell it out for you really. Sure, sure. Uh, I thought the other thing that stands out about this outside of what's going on with the plot is just how they shot this, like the whole experience of his uh, getting stripped down putting that thing in his mouth, being put in that room with the gel in it, and then like the crazy kind of like psychological stuff going on uh, and the way it's captured. Pretty trippy uh, sequence, I thought. What, What did you think? Yeah, very trippy. And I saw an interview where he talks about like wanting the technology to be more tactile than like glossy and futuristic and even more like realistically how it might be sure and that's very much following in his dad's footsteps you have like these weird flesh like i remember in the movie exist as extents or existence i can't remember how they pronounce it in the movie there's like a, a controller that's essentially just looks like somebody's body part oh. and it's just like a very futuristic movie with technology, yeah. but it's like the controller still looks like a body part. It's just interesting. Crimes of the Future was like that too. It's, it was, yeah. It's really. just like this is technology, but it doesn't look like an Apple product. It looks like a 
weird living thing or something. Yeah. That, that's a really cool thing to call out. That's very unique about them. Like, their future, it isn't, like, uh, stainless steel or, like, white rooms and stuff. It is, there's kind of, like, a analog or, like, uh, I don't know, almost like a retro, not even retro, more, like, underdeveloped aspect to it yeah. that's combined with, like, uh, crazy futuristic technology. For sure. And I think they shot this in, like, a, an abandoned uh, power plant or something like that. So I think they were using a lot of, like, the legacy equipment that was there like on film when people were like pulling levers and pushing buttons so oh wow it definitely gives yeah. it not only analog but like a weird I don't even know what it does man it's like it makes it more fantasy than sci-fi or something I don't know right like why would right. you stand in a pool of globby goo <laughs> I know it seems like pretty old school yeah kind of barbaric uh, really interesting I, I think it's like a really interesting juxtaposition because it's like such a old and like decrepit place that's like run down and like this really uh, yeah kind of gross process or procedure that doesn't like seem very sterile but then this like super futuristic technology that's like cloning this person. Um, yeah, it's, it's a wild combination of elements. It is. It is. I think it even makes it, just as we've been talking already, the whole, everything about the movie just kind of seeks to unsettle you. And I think that that juxtaposition achieves that same goal. For sure. Yep. Uh, so James and M, after seeing James clone get killed... They return back to the resort, and M is in shock at what she's just seen, and she's ready to get out of the resort and head back to the U.S., but James suddenly can't find his passport, so M is pretty disturbed that James seems pretty casual about just having watched his clone get murdered. Um, he, later that evening, goes down to the lobby, and he runs into Gabby, who invites him to this party that her and Albin are having with some other guests, and we learn that these guests have also had similar experiences previously in the country where they've broken laws, killed people, uh, done crazy shit, and have watched their clones be murdered. And it's something that like bonds this group together. I think there's like six or eight of them uh, of just these like upper class, like wealthy tourists who now kind of like bond and like take pleasure in the fact that they've been through this experience of having seen their clone get murdered. Is that a good way to describe them? Yeah, sure, sure. And I think that they even bring up in this conversation something that a viewer familiar with psychological horror might have already expected or thought. Like, what if this is the double? What if mm. James isn't James and he's the one they cloned? And right. they bring that up in that discussion. And one of the guys is like, yeah, I've thought about that. And then realized, like, what does it matter? Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's a question that I've heard a lot of people ask like throughout this film, uh, like is James the real one or the double? But yeah, does it really have any significance to the plot or the story if your double has the same memories and is the same person as you? Right, and I feel like there's a lot to read into that about your identity and like, and maybe even your significance or insignificance. Like, what are you except a body and its memories and... If you're swapped into a different body that looks the same and has the same memories, who Doesn't cares? Matter. Yeah. yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. Pretty existential. I think there's um, a lot of as, as existential stuff in this and Possessor. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's a, it's a big theme here. 
Um, so this group, though, we find out they're, they mean trouble. They're a bunch of troublemakers. They mean they, trouble. <laughs> yeah. There's some, uh, there's some bad people. They goad if James. You, if you write a book like that's an in-depth analysis of this movie, I yeah. want you to call it They Mean Trouble. Yeah. That basically sums up. I think that was the working title of this film. Yeah. Uh, before it landed on uh, Infinity Pool. Um, they, these guys, uh, they go to James to join them into breaking into a nearby home and holding its residents at gunpoint. Uh, and then they, they break out into like kind of a shooting spree in there. Ultimately, they get arrested. And again, James gets to watch as another clone of his gets murdered by the police after he pays a fine. Um, he comes back and M realizes that James has kind of gone off the wall here and is uh, not who he was before. So she takes off and leaves uh, for the U.S. Uh, hey, I didn't understand uh, this scene. Whose house did they break into? I think it was somebody in an authority position on the island. Oh. Um... I can't remember whose house or why now. Okay. Yeah, that part didn't quite make uh, sense to me. And then another odd, there's another odd thing about this, uh, about that couple, right, that they kill? Uh, and they were having sex. Yeah, but after the sex, did you notice anything? Uh, I mean, I had my glasses on. Uh, was there anything interesting with the general area uh, on the man? Yeah, what was going on there? I, I noticed it looked a little weird, but I just thought, I guess oh. when you're older, your penis is your penis is that, gets a little weird. Is that what all is? I, I wasn't sure. I thought you you caught that and would have explained it to me. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on there. I just didn't know if he had some like fat rolls above his his oh, stuff okay. or what was happening. Okay, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. It was uh, kind of cute. Cute the way you pride for something. <laughs> Maybe nothing was normal. Maybe yeah. Brian's penis looks like this, and my yeah. penis is what what looks Maybe weird. Maybe I'm the weird one. Yeah, exactly. Did you happen uh, to notice? No, no, yeah, okay, no, no, nothing. Okay, that all looked normal. No, I, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell because I, I thought it was gonna be a plot point later on, but I thought something looked a little suspicious here. But um, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe uh, things were all okay. Yeah, I um, mean my below the belly button area doesn't look like that but okay i couldn't quite pinpoint what was wrong down there okay if someone else has an interpretation of that uh let us know i just thought it was maybe age and and overweightness okay cool i'll take that that works what are you thinking of james character at this point uh it's you know i I think it's safe to say he's not who he was at the beginning of this film he's kind of like opening up a bit um what what do you think like what, what are we seeing here I really, it took me like the entire movie to know exactly what was going on in James's mind, and I'm not sure I still even do. Yeah. And I think that was the hardest part of the movie for me, for me to wrap my head around and like get on board with, was James, basically like James and M, I think, James in general, but James and M especially, because... He's kind of gone off on this thing now where he's just like off the rails. And M's kind of our grounding character. But I still think she's not really reacting to things appropriately. Hmm. Uh, like ooh, she's I- just not as mind blown that the government is cloning people. Yeah. And it just, I have a hard time um, connecting 
the otherworldliness of what's happening in the movie with the backbone, which is their relationship. Yeah. Maybe that's not the backbone of the movie, but it's like two separate elements of the movie that I I struggle to connect to connect. each other. Yeah. You know, I I kind of uh I feel like she was probably out of the two of them the most rational where her um reaction to like what happened and that needs to like get the fuck out of there and not like wait around for James to find his passport. Um that like made a lot of sense to me and I think uh, the dynamic of their relationship is what was uh, confining James in the beginning when we meet him. He's like a very stiff person, kind of distant, and now he's kind of like found this thing that is like bringing out his personality more. Uh, and I know there's a conversation on the beach about having his balls chopped off, so I wonder if like this is him growing his balls or something. But uh, yeah, that, I, I thought that I, I mean, you're right. Like the what's going on and, and like the duplication of someone isn't like really touched on at all in terms of like, how does this exist? But I, I think the relationship feels very realistic and you're seeing someone who's maybe like not felt like empowered in the relationship suddenly like getting uh, a whiff of like some something that they're into. Yeah, sure, sure. I agree. I And I feel like there's maybe even something... You could read commentary into this movie, too, about, like, masculinity, right? Sure. Like, they talk about him having his balls chopped off. Mia Goth's character, like, later in the film is, like, I can't remember what she says, but she's, like, you know, be a big, strong man for me or something like right. that. Right, show me your strength or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's kind of playing to his role in their relationship. It's, like, she's the breadwinner. He's not. And she's successful. He's not. Right. I don't know. I don't know whether it's to be read into as like a neutered male type character or just how we all to a certain extent, regardless of gender, settle into a role in our relationships and then some of the other roles you've had in prior lives kind of get put on the shelf. Sure. Yeah, right. And then, like, maybe something, you've witnessed something or experienced something that starts to bring it back. Yeah, sure. And it brings it, yeah. Right, makes you realize maybe you've forgotten something about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how I was reading into it. As we're talking, though, uh, I do wonder if, like, the position he was in, he had, like, grown to hate himself. And is that why, like, he suddenly got into this idea of, like, watching himself get killed was, like, kind of, like, a big turn on or, like, uh, something that was, like, really exciting or... uh, moving for him like uh, do you think there's like some I was just trying to think of like obviously this is commenting on rich people going to you know poor countries and like paying for service things that like uh the experiences that may be like harming to themselves or to others for most of the time to others uh did you see like a clear analogy here I feel like the movies like got something to say about yeah I do think he's kind of happy to see himself die in a way like it's maybe his rebirth in in a lot of ways and i think that may be supported by a scene later in the movie which we'll talk about too but i do think he's unhappy with himself i think he's got like a profound sense of ennui and like as existential boredom with his life and this is a way for him to to snap out of that for sure yeah Okay. I guess my biggest issue with M is 
and again, it's maybe too much for the movie to ask of the movie, and it would just send the movie down a path it doesn't need to go down. But as I, as much as I understood her being like, "All right, I got to get the fuck out of here," it was it was still just like more casual than I feel like it would have mm. been if you're had just seen your husband get cloned and murdered by a child and yeah like i yeah i don't know that's true yeah you don't uh it's it's surprising that they're like uh, married for like 10 years i don't think you get the sense of this uh long relationship or like long uh uh intimacy between them i guess yeah right and i I just i was surprised the like let's get the fuck out of here button wasn't pushed like immediately right right okay makes sense um so, uh, where are we? Oh, so from here, James starts to get pretty close to Gabby. She gets him to do drugs, and there's a really trippy orgy scene that he uh, just kind of jumps into. Um, what, what, I mean, again, this is like a, another crazy visual scene, uh, flashing lights, a lot of crazy colors. Um, was there a nipple with some stuff coming out of it or something? What, what was going on here? It seemed like there was a nipple with some... Maybe some of that like black drug coming out of it or something. No, I didn't okay. know what to make of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was it was pretty. It was like in the middle of a bunch of trippy, nonsensical almost imagery. So right. I didn't know if that the, was just a hallucination or what. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much to read into that. Uh, pro- probably just like a cool visual, maybe. I would think so. And again, maybe just the Cronenberg brain just doing what it wants to do. Yeah, some gross stuff to our brains. Yep. Uh, he goes full on bro mode and uh, becomes. Uh, he, he gets into the these drugs quite a bit. Um, the others coax him to kidnap this detective. Uh, he waits outside while they bring the detective out with a bag over the detective's head. And James gets high and beats the guy up um, and takes a piss on him. Gabby and her friends then pull the mask off of the detective. And it turns out to be another clone of James. And he realizes this whole time he was being tricked into beating up his own clone. And this shocks him. And suddenly everything he's been doing is not cool. He runs back to his room and he finds his passport that apparently he had hid uh, and had lied about, you know, losing it. Um, so now we know that a part of him wanted to stay here and, and, and indulge more in this uh, hobby. So the next day, oh, actually, w- were you shocked by any of this? That he had like, yeah, I mean, I was shocked for, with the reveal that it was his double. Um, oh, yeah. What about the passport? The passport I was surprised by too, but it also kind of made sense. It's kind of like, yeah, pointing a picture of who this guy is. Or yeah, he wanted to stay. He was intrigued by Gabby and by just this this life here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so now apparently he's had too much. So the next day he takes his passport and he gets on a shuttle to the airport. But on the way, the bus gets stopped by Gabby's group and Gabby, who is kind of drunk, shoots a gun and makes James exit the bus and they march him down the street while she verbally berates him and reveals that she pretended this whole time to be a fan of his work, that he's actually a terrible writer. And she reads to him, a scathing review that he had received years ago. So really just knocking him down at all levels. Uh, dude, what did you think of this performance by Mia Goth in this scene? It's just bonkers, man. She's so good. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like childlike drunk. I mean, she's just, uh, and like deadly in the way, like she's like, uh, taunting him. 
uh, so manipulative. I mean, holy shit, dude. This was, this was insane. Yeah, I feel like she can be, like, so charming and so intriguing. Yeah. But then, like, so evil and mean and, like, terrifying. Yeah, She was exactly. scary in this movie. She really was, yeah. This this was a great performance on her part. And, uh, th- yeah, I mean, the, the whole uh, thing here where, that like, she actually wasn't a fan of his, which I think is what, like, pulled him into her in the first place. Uh, so, like, knowing the whole premise of this film kind of was, was a lie. That was pretty sneaky. And, I don't know, I had trouble kind of understanding what their angle was. Uh, they were just, like, having fun messing with him. I think that was, the whole goal was just to fuck with him, it seems. Hmm, interesting. It's just, like... Uh, commentary on like the the pleasures of the wealthy upper class yeah i mean it seems like this little group they are wealthy they come to this resort once a year where they can do whatever they want because whatever crime they commit they'll just get cloned and the clone will get murdered and they're later in the movie they there's a scene that lets you know that they're pretty bored it seems (laughs) in their (laughs) day-to-day lives so sure i think they're not very unlike james and so they come here to just let loose and live a whole different life than the one they live. Mm. And yeah, she, Mia Goth in an interview said she thought the whole movie could be viewed as a meditation on power. I could very much see that with this scene in mind, like mm. deceiving someone, deliberately messing with them for just the only purpose is just to fuck with them. It's just like a way to have control over somebody. A way uh, to have power over somebody. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, right. Just uh, just for fun, huh? Yeah, and you feel like powerful and in control. Right. Whereas you don't in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Part of me struggles, though, because I, I do feel like Mia got there's a part of her that was vested in seeing James go through this journey, and, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about where she goes from here. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, hard for me to know how much of this was just like a joke to them versus... Uh, yeah, a thrill ride versus like a personal thing. Like, hey, let's find this dude and uh, make him like feel go through this experience and see what it does to him. Sure, um, it's interesting. But yeah, James, uh, he manages to escape briefly. He gets shot in the leg while he's running, but he winds up at a farmhouse uh, where he is put up in a bed to recover. But the group finds him there, and Mia Gott brings out a clone of his who is uh, on a dog leash and crawling on all fours. Uh, she says you have to kill this duplicate of yours. Joan, James uh, battles his clone in a fist fight and kills him. And then he cries as Mia Goth offers him one of her bloody breasts to suck on. And he does so. So, uh, yeah, th- this feels like kind of what you're just saying around power and like masculinity, what you're talking about earlier. Like he's totally been kind of ripped down and is now at a point where he's like suck- sucking the breast of Mia Goth. Uh, what did you think of this scene? Yeah, that was pretty wild. Um, I also held, like, in my mind, I took that scene and used it as support for, like, my rebirth theory of him. Like, every time he sees one of these doubles get killed or he kills them or beats them up, he's, like, kind of reborn in a way. He sheds something mm-hmm. of his old self. And so now he's, like, a baby breastfeeding Oh, yeah. I don't sure. know if that is quote-unquote correct way to read that or not, but it's a very no, odd scene. Sense. His fist is covered in the blood of this double. She rubs her hand on the fist, gathering all this blood, then rubs her bloodied hand onto her boob, 
gets her boob all bloody, and then he sucks her nipple. Very strange. Very strange. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think you're right. There, there could be some meaning there, though. That's that's interesting. I, I like that uh, theory of like a rebirth and him becoming a baby. It reminded me a lot of uh, Barbarian. I think we saw some breastfeeding going on in that film as well. That's true. It's a horror theme lately. But then, yeah, yeah that I think it could be viewed as tying into what you're talking about too, like the masculinity and and his own like status, and now he's just reduced to like tiny little baby like <laughs> sucking on yeah. her boob you know he's like nothing exactly yeah yeah kind of kind of crazy visual to see um and then what's crazier is the next day is back to normal it's the group they're all heading back to the airport to go back to the u.s and they're making small talk about the mundane things they're going to do when they get back home like redecorate or get back to work and stuff and james is kind of sitting there still in shock from like what he's been through the last few days and after everyone leaves he heads back to the resort which is now closed for the rainy season and sits by the beach as the rain pours down and the movie ends um anything i missed there i think the only thing thematically that was important in there was on the bus back to the airport the rest of the characters are talking about what they'll do when they get back and gabby He's like, oh, he'll be working a lot, so I'll just be home eating dinner by myself and rearranging the house. I always rearrange the house when he's gone. Sure. And that, to me, really drew a parallel, like I mentioned before, between her and James. Like, It also made me realize in that in an earlier dinner scene, she talks about what she does, and she's an actress. And she she plays it off very charmingly, but she essentially says, like, yeah, I I do infomercials. Like, uh, yeah. this is where <laughs> I'm at. No, no shame on anybody who, that seems like it's probably a good gig if you're an actor. But it sounds like they're both kind of, like, in careers that they thought might go better. They have, like, a little bit of a middling performance in those careers. They're both married to people who have a lot more money and basically provide for them and are how they live their lifestyle. And they're just kind of like profoundly bored. Like she's sitting home alone while her husband's out on business trips eating dinner by herself. He's trying to write, though he hasn't in X amount of years, and living off of his wife's fortune. Yeah. So I think that drove home a theme to me of like, hey, they're they're wealthy and bored and unhappy with their lives, and this is super appealing to come to this other country where there are no consequences for their actions and they can do whatever they want and be sure. whoever they want to be, be a totally different person than they are. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I didn't draw that parallel between them. But then wouldn't you say that applies to this whole group of wealthy individuals? Like they all, like whether they are working uh, or not working or like doing things or not, this island is still like an escape for them to come and like do ridiculous things and watch uh, a version of themselves die. You're, you're saying like the the experience for uh, Gabby and James is maybe more similar given uh, a shared background. Yeah, I mean, I think they all are, have that in common that they're the thrill of what they can do here and their privilege and unchecked zero consequences is appealing to this whole group. Yeah, but I think for Gabby and James especially, they're very much escaping the mundanity of their day-to-day life sure sure that makes sense i think i think the one 
unresolved thing for me though is that like the way Gabby can partake in this and exit it and go back to like everyday normal life versus James who struggles to like leave this fantasy or this island and ends up like sitting on a rainy beach because he doesn't uh he can't go home or doesn't like want to go home or something uh he's more like imprisoned by this so is the effect different uh on him versus Gabby and the others Maybe, and maybe Gabby had a slow ramp up where, you know, the first time she learned, oh, I did something wrong, but my devil was killed. She didn't have somebody then just fuck with her for the whole rest of the trip, you know? (laughs) So James really got the extreme treatment at the courtesy of Gabby. Sure. And he's kind of been through the ringer a little bit more than she probably was. Yeah. But I also think he's, you could just interpret the ending of him being like, I can't go back, like... I don't like who I am. I don't want to go back to the life I had. This was a wild ride, but it was intriguing, and I felt alive, so I'm going to stay here. Yeah, you think that's what he feels at the end? Because, yeah, there is a point in the middle where you can tell he's getting uh, his rocks off on this and enjoying it. But I thought in that last act, uh, I can't tell if he's like still enjoying it. Uh, I mean, wh- where do we end with him? Like, he's at the farm. He's trying to escape this group. Uh, he's killing his clone and then sucking a breast. Is he happy or content or, like, at terms now with, like, what he's done? I-, I can't tell where this guy is emotionally at the end of the film. I can't quite either. I think he's at a place where he's just... Whatever this was, good or bad or mixed, it's so far from the life I live that I am irreparably changed and I cannot go back to the life I was living for good or for bad so I'm Mm. staying here yeah I don't know if he's like hell yeah I'm gonna stay here I'm gonna get a job at the resort I'll see Gabby (laughs) once a year this is gonna be great or if he's like I'll just fucking like freeze out here in the rain because I can't go back I'm just miserable now right somewhere in between maybe sorry everybody I'm losing my voice Ah, normally not this froggy if you're a new listener but yeah it's it's interesting you don't really quite know how to read him and a little bit the whole movie you don't quite know how to read him yeah yeah that's true he's a kind of a wild character um i i think there's a bit of an arc there uh and and we start to see him come out of his shell but then yeah the the end i i I get the sense he's kind of like destroyed mentally at the end uh but yeah curious where he goes from there um, but I, I don't know, like, are we supposed to sympathize him with him, you think? Or part of me, like, hated him throughout this whole film. Like, he's this terrible person who's, like, living off of his wife and unimaginative and, like, uh, maybe hates himself and that's why he's participating in this or, uh, like, doesn't have anything going for him in life. Uh, I don't know. What, what was your, did you like him at all as a character? Yeah, I, I, I didn't really. I didn't actively dislike him. I found he was a sympathetic main character. Not necessarily a likable one, though. Oh, okay. So you were, like, kind of... You were scared for him or rooting for him to get out of there or something? I Yeah, I wasn't like, get out of here, James. Like, you're better than this. Yeah. Because, I yeah, I guess I didn't like him. But at the same time, I was kind of experiencing things through his view. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely the main character and. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think uh, Gabby uh, kind of steals the show a little bit on, on this one in terms of, like, the character with, like, the most agency, perhaps, in this film. 
Yeah, he's, for sure. I mean, he's just kind of along for the ride in a lot of ways. He's yeah. he's definitely got choices he has to make. But yeah, right. she's she's the puppeteer. Right, right, which is pretty neat. Uh, yeah, so what did you think of this film? You know, I found it to be very unsettling and disturbing, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I thought it really achieved what it was trying to. I saw a lot of what I liked about Possessor in it. It had some trippiness to it, and I'm, I'm not always a fan of psychological horror that uses a lot of trippy visuals because then I feel like we can just get so far away from anything resembling a story that makes sense that we're just off the rails. Um, But I thought even though you didn't always quite know what was happening or what he was thinking, it still told a fairly straightforward, easy-to-follow story for the most part. So I really enjoyed it, and I think it was thought-provoking and... Everything worked together well to to achieve the the whole mood here. Um, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. All the elements played together really well. Uh, oh my god, the the, the performances uh, I think stand out, especially Mia Goth, and uh, visually really cool. I think you bring up really interesting points around uh, the cohesiveness of the plot because that's also where I get kind of uh, annoyed sometimes. Is where you have like really cool visuals and like trippy scenes, but you're not really sure how it ties to the story or what's going on. But I, I want to say 80% or 90%, 80% of this time, I, I felt like I knew what was going on. Um, so, yeah, it, d- decent balance of abstractness and, and cohesive plotline. Um, soundtrack, I thought, was also kind of like standout and, and amazing. Um, and then, yeah, visuals and performance and uh, in- interesting enough story. Wonder what the meaning is. What, what do you think the title relates to? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So... I can't remember if it was Gabby or the other woman who was relaying a story of, gosh, was it like their dad or something who was building a infinity a resort pool. around this place or somewhere else and installing an infinity pool and a slab of concrete fell and killed two workers? It might have been Alvin because he's in architecture, so maybe he oh. was the one installing it. And maybe that's how they got introduced to the, the whole crime or the, the punishment. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Ah, okay, okay. Maybe. But yeah, that seemed like a minor detail, but I feel like an infinity pool is emblematic of wealth and privilege and, you know, uh, sure. the dream vacation. But but yeah, and also there is that like pool of goo he steps in that can create infinite doubles. So is that the infinity pool? I don't know. It's, I'm oh, not man. quite sure how they got that title. That's interesting. The pool he steps in creates doubles. Uh, I wonder, is the sperm that we see on the ground like foreshadowing that? Because uh, cause sperm could create a lot of doubles, potentially. Sperm has created two doubles in my household. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I wonder if that was like foreshadowing this other goo he was about to step into uh, by first showing us the sperm on the ground. So maybe <laughs> yeah, the sperm the, did have meaning. The double goo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the double stuff. Uh, That's yeah, what uh, I think I'll call sperm from now on. Here comes double goo. Yeah, exactly. Brace yourself. You said here it comes. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna double goo. Yeah. <laughs> Chris. All right. Well, uh, what are, what are the themes about this film? Do you think we haven't covered yet? I mean, 
think we talked about like the role of power, maybe masculinity, gender roles, uh, obviously on, on the wealthy and, and using uh, their wealth as a privilege to take advantage of others. Anything else? Um, Mia Goth said she thinks her character embodies like deep animalistic urges we all have. So I don't know. There could be a commentary on how buttoned up our day-to-day lives are and we need to engage in more primal activities. You know, in a movie where ooze is coming out of nipples and people are having orgies and stuff like that. Right. I don't know. Maybe there are some themes there. I feel like that's just maybe an inherent Cronenberg theme in a lot of movies that they do. Yeah, yeah. There's a very like a uh, playing to uh, the oh uh, base basic uh, uh, what is it? Yeah, like human uh, nature. Primal instincts. Primal instincts. Yeah, there you go. that's a good way to call it. The urge to uh, double goo. <laughs> yeah, that's basically all we're doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that this movie captures that really well, and um, that also reminds me of like uh, what was that movie last year with Cronenberg? Um, Crimes of the Future. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's always like this kind of, uh, I don't know, like a, a sexuality or a sexualness that isn't necessarily um, like, a, like gratu- well, it is gratuitous. But yeah, there, there's like this human element of like our urging or like wanting or craving something that isn't like quite right and like the obsession with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe what you're trying to say is like there's always sexuality to a, and poor Brandon, he gets compared to his dad all the time. We're doing it now but the movie is i mean it's like an extension of what he it really is yeah it does i there's always the sexuality it's not always meant to be like sexy and seducing the viewer and like hey this is a sexy movie it's just like baked into it like he's examining both the cronenbergs are examining like who we are fundamentally Mm -hmm. and sexuality is just like impossible to detach from that and i think that's how sexuality gets reflected in their movies yeah is it almost like you have the perverseness without the sexuality like he's hitting on like that human nature of uh being that way without like it relating necessarily directly to sex maybe i mean i wouldn't call this a sexy movie even though there's a decent amount of nudity right i think he just is looking at I think a lot of the movies they make look at what make us human and yeah. your your body and your mind and your s- sexuality and your like most basic crave, functions. Not. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what they bring to the uh, scene. Um, I thought there were a lot of unanswered questions. I think that's another thing that uh, these guys always do. Um, like the dream sequence he has in the house when he's recovering um, the mutilated, what, well, what I think was, uh, an interesting, uh, cut of someone's genitals. Um, the detective kind of getting him to say that he didn't steal the car. Uh, the whole question around, is he a clone or not a clone? There's some ideas like thrown out throughout the film that I, I feel like never really circled back on. Um, do you think, uh, those are weaknesses or are those like little gems that like were meant to like kind of think upon? I think there are little gems in a movie okay. like this. Yeah. Yeah. You think there's deeper meaning, the oozing nipples, the, uh, uh, what else? Well, you know, maybe I shouldn't blanket say little gems. I think some <laughs> of them are like, um, shoot, I can't remember all the things he just, the, the like 
was he a devil the whole time? Or right. is he always a new devil even? That is a really interesting thing to just not know the answer to and always think on. Yeah. An oozing and, nipple. And why it matters. You know, you could say that was a misstep, and I know many people would be like, how could you say that was a misstep, Brian? It was one of the most bonkers visuals in the movie. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's just like, I don't know what it's adding. It, I could see it just being like an experiment of like, oh, that looks weird. Let's keep it in the movie. Mm. But at the same time, maybe there's some metaphor there that I'm not catching. There, yeah. Maybe it's a bit of a kitchen sink approach sometimes could be a flaw. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that, that's where I scratch my head on this sometimes. Gotcha. But uh, it all comes together pretty interestingly. Um, anything else you want to mention before we jump to the score? I'm ready to do the score. All right. Well, on the on the topic of uh, on the topic of uh, oozing nipples, how many oozing nipples zero to five would you give this one? So I would say the unsettling nature of the performances, the score, and the visuals combine to create a unique atmosphere of dread that doesn't come along every day in a horror movie. So despite some trouble connecting to the film, I still have to give it a four out of five oozing nipples. Nice. Nice. Cool. How about you? Uh, dude, I, I was between a three and a half and a four. Uh, I think I'm going to go three and a half because uh, I agree. You know, I think this was like a really beautiful film, really innovative and layered story and executed well on all fronts from cinematography to the sound design, obviously incredibly well acted. But uh, I do get a little bit lost in some of the layers and the commentary, uh, which can be like a little disorienting at times, um, which I, you know, I think is true to like the Cronenberg DNA, um, where some things are just meant to be more visually interesting and compelling, uh, less than like providing clear answers, which is obviously cool. Like it's nice not to have everything spelled out to you all the time. But um, I don't know, I, there's a certain tightness to the message that uh, I think me as more of a simpler, simpler person tends to value. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll end at more three, three and a half, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the explanation you gave there is the reason I didn't go four and a half like I did with Possessor. Ah, uh, yeah. It's just yeah. a yeah. little bit less cohesive than Possessor was. Right, yeah, and I feel like Possessor like was a really great like crime story like at its core, uh, and this one was kind of like the demise of a person, and more about, like I guess, uh, an individual's like character arc and a commentary on the wealth, society, and the power. Yeah, and I mean, this is, it's an interesting springboard for a discussion on body horror. And we're talking about this like it's body horror. I don't necessarily know that it counts. I mean, typically a body horror is like a character undergoing the destruction of their own body. Um, right. In its most classical sense. And that's not what is happening to James. But at the same time, he's watching his double get murdered. So he is watching his body get destroyed. Yeah. So in right. a way it is body horror, but it's more so psychological horror of mm -hmm. what's happening to his mind from seeing this. And what would that do to a person right. to see right. it? And Possessor was so similar in, you know, a totally different movie, totally different plot, but it's also similar in that it's not traditional body horror but it's the things taking place with your body that are having some causing some sort of psychological degradation even right. though traditional body horror is about the body's degradation 
Yeah. It's, I, I it's just like the him. next step. It's like he took his dad's ideas and was like, boing, like it's onto it's the next logical place to take those. Yeah. Yeah, into the mind. Yeah. I think that's really cool. It's it's really cool uh, genre and trend. Uh, that That's why I think body tourism is more what he's doing because it's more about watching uh yeah kind of like being a third person to the horror is happening to you or someone like you sure yeah <laughs> yeah he's a yeah really really interesting things that he that he's doing and stories that he's telling yeah agreed right maybe you could body tourism into that guy to figure out what's really going on with those genitals uh yeah <laughs> that's my next <laughs> yeah and or your own genitals <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I'll just bounce back and forth and keep Am comparing. I different? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which one of us is weird here? Uh-huh. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, anything else? That's it. All right. Well, that's going to be our discussion on Infinity Pool. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show, and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com. Or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord where you can join us and other horror movie fans. The link to that is in on our websites. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you're planning to escape the winter and hang out on an island resort... Save some money and buy yourself a clone from Duty Free. That way you'll be all set for all the horrific shit you plan to do while you're on vacation. Good tip. Yeah, let's take one with you.